Welcome to Torn Stubs with me, photographer Robert Gershenson, and Josh Winning, the greatest film critic you've never heard of. And we're going to the movies. We are celebrating the release of the 25th James Bond film in the series, No Time to Die, directed by Carrie Fui. Oh, I knew I'd fuck up on this. God. Directed by Carrie. Oh, fucking hell. Fuganagua. It's not Fukunaga. It's Fukunaga. Fukunaga. Yep. There's no W in it. We're celebrating the release of the 25th James Bond film in the series, No Time to Die, directed by Kari Yuji Fukunaga with this special bonus episode. And we have some guests. We do. Please welcome Daniel and William from Track by Track podcast. Hello, boys. We've been expecting you. Welcome. Hello. Hello. Oh, they're like twins. They're like <laughs> completely in time with each other. They're so in sync. I feel like we've been talking about doing this episode since the end of 2018 yeah it's almost like the film release was just pushed back and back and back or something hmm. i think it's because they knew we wanted to talk about it oh, yeah. do you think it's like the weight of expectation for this episode that we have is almost as as high as the expectations for no time to die itself by this point <laughs> well i feel no time to die has been put in the same position oh. as Christopher Nolan this time last year where No Time to Die is the saviour of British cinema. I feel that our powers combined are going to save British podcasting. Oh wow, that's a lot of Thank weight of expectation. What can I, can I say? Do. I don't do anything by halves. <laughs> this film picks up soon after the events of Spectre. Bond has retreated to Italy with new love interest Madeline Swan. Their little bubble is burst when Bond is attacked by Spectre agents. Unsure of who to trust, Bond delivers her safely to the local train station, doesn't buy her a ticket, and then vanishes. Five years later, Bond is happily retired in Jamaica. But when good friend and CIA agent Felix Leiter drops in with a proposition, the itch of adventure is too hard for Bond not to scratch. Boys, <laughs> let's start with William. Are you a Bond fan, William? Yes, Rob, I'm a huge Bond fan. I'm not a anorak, I'm not a Bond geek, but the anticipation for a new Bond film is always high. And this one obviously was like through the roof because of the delay that we've had to it, but also the fact that we knew it was going to be Daniel Craig's last one. And then we had trailers and a lot of pre-teasing way back when. So we were kind of knowing and expecting and waiting for this. So I've been very much looking forward to it, as I would do all Bond films. So it answers your question, Who? yes. <laughs> <laughs> Who was your first Bond? I think for me it was Pierce Brosnan. Uh, it was how I kind of got into Bond. Um, but then it kind of opened up backwards and then I started, you know, getting into everything that had come before as well so you you don't get us on torn stubs without a few innuendos um as well by the way so uh <laughs> well i'm a fan of the roger moore era so i'm all right with an innuendo dan how's your innuendo and your endo actually <laughs> uh dan your first bond was who Mine would have been Pierce Brosnan as well. I think the first one I saw at the cinema was Die Another Day. So things really could have only got better from there. Oh, dear. I was going to say, did that not put you off? Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what? At the time, I remember leaving the cinema thinking, like I'd seen not long before, I think they'd done the, was it like Wednesday night ITV showing them back to back? Yeah. Um, 
And so I was so excited to see my first one at the cinema. I think I loved it and then watched it again a couple of years later and just, well, we're not here to talk about Dying of the Day and thank goodness because I wouldn't have much to say about it. Certainly <laughs> not much positive. Oh, the foils of youth. It has its fans. It definitely has its fans. And I think some magazines did give it like quite um, positive reviews and I don't really know why, but they did. <laughs> well, I, I know why and I see it all the time. These big magazines, I won't name them, but clearly they're under a bit of pressure because they have to give good reviews in order to get access to the stars in the next film. <laughs> Otherwise, how the fuck did Rise of Skywalker get like five stars from certain magazines? Anyway, Joshua, anyway. your first Bond. <laughs> uh, my first Bond, I think, was, it was like Roger Moore as well because I've got really strong memories of watching Bond as a kid with my family. Um, and, uh, you know, as a kid, they seem so grown up. They seem so exciting. Um, and I remember watching one of them with my nan and granddad and there was like a slightly amorous scene, which you do tend to get in a Bond film. And I just remember my nan kind of like clucking at me, laughing at me um, and kind of going, oh, should you not be watching this? And me just being like thoroughly embarrassed by the whole situation. That's very troubling. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they were quite like, he was quite sexy, actually. <laughs> you know, like watching oh, the looking back. Film. Yeah, not in a view to a kill. Uh, no, God, no. He looked like a, a worn leather sofa by the end. <laughs> <laughs> Look, Piers Brosnan is, for me, the proto-Bond. If whenever I've read any of the books, either the Ian Fleming ones or some of the later ones from like the 80s, it's always Piers Brosnan that I'm imagining because I grew up with Piers Brosnan as my Bond. But the first one I remember watching and being aware that this is a Bond film was License to Kill because License to Kill, which is the second and final Timothy Dalton film from 1989, is it's like a brilliant action film. It doesn't necessarily always feel like a Bond film. It feels like a like a very left field action film because at one point they're in Miami and they're doing stuff with like Miami Vice style drugs people and then suddenly there's a bunch of ninjas jumping around the place for a scene or two and then it goes back to being about Miami and drugs. That's a very fact, 80s we saw that scenario, one. isn't it? It's really 80s. It's really, really 80s. And Dan, we saw that at the Prince Charles Cinema. Yes, they were playing them uh back to back weren't they over a week uh, over a week no that would have been quite intense uh over however many weeks it is we saw that one and diamonds are forever i think didn't we oh yes well i love diamonds are forever yeah and i actually i've just remembered maybe I answered the question incorrectly because the first one i ever saw was diamonds are forever and i distinctly remember that's again when they were showing them on itv and we were on holiday in south wales in a caravan <laughs> Um, not our own, you know, a static home or whatever they're called. And that's, I remember my grandma saying, oh, you'll like this, James Bond. I was probably like 10 or 11 or something. Uh, and you know what? She was right. Really <laughs> How have ITV held on to the rights for so long? Like they're still showing, I watched one at yeah, the weekend. My... It's on ITV4. <laughs> you moved down the ranks. Dan, you yeah. just reminded me there by talking about static home and Bond. There's an episode of Iron Man and Partridge in the second series when he... Uh, on a bank holiday Monday, he he writes a meticulous schedule to watch every Bond film, uh, and completely implodes at the end. And it culminates in him doing and acting out of a the start of a Bond film. Um, and I for your eyes only. Yes, yeah, very funny. Very funny. 
Klange, 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 yeah. klang. Because <laughs> <laughs> Lynn accidentally drops two jugs of Sonny Delight on the VHS tapes. and So that's why he acts wrong. Stop getting Bond wrong. <laughs> <laughs> when Daniel Craig took over the role of Bond, did anyone give a shit? I thought it was a terrible choice. I thought, I can't believe, was it Clive Owen who was like meant to be the other one up against it? Yeah. Clive James. And I, it was Clive James. Clive James. Who's Clive Owen? No, no Clive, Clive, Ander- <laughs> Clive Anderson. <laughs> Clive Anderson. No, it was Clive James and Margarita Prakatar was going to be the Bond girl. <laughs> Love- and I just remember thinking, but Clive James looks like Bond because he looks a bit like Piers... Uh, okay, I was going to say Piers Morgan. It's not Clive James. It's, it's Clive, Clive Owen. Owen. <laughs> <laughs> Who's Clive James then? Clive James was like an Australian chat show host journalist. <laughs> He's dead. Maybe like he a Melbourne brag, like but with no hair. Oh, right. maybe not. It looks more like Blofeld. <laughs> but yeah, I get that. I can see that, that um, Clive Owen, who's now playing uh, Bill Clinton in American Crime Story, um, he would make a really good Bond. And he'd just done that film Croupier, hadn't yes, he? Yes, I can see the poster now. And he yeah. looked like, yeah, you know, he was in the, um, you know, the dicky bow, the bow tie and whatever, the, the tuxedo. For me, I'd fallen so far out of giving a shit about Bond because of Die Another Day. And then there was like three years where nothing seemingly was happening and Brosnan was bitching about it in the the press because they hadn't really sacked him. They just told the press he wasn't doing it anymore <laughs> and that's kind of how he found out. So it seemed that everything was in flux hmm. and I didn't see Casino Royale in the cinema. I waited until wow. DVD. Me neither. I just mm. didn't give a shit. Just didn't give a shit. And even though I had read the book years before, didn't give a Shocked. shit. But there was so oh, much bad press. Like, as soon as he was cast, the press absolutely tore him apart. They were like, blonde Bond, mm. bland Bond. You know, he had he came from sort of more like independent, um, sort of like weird films, as he said, you know. And so for him to step into the Bond role, nobody really understood what, anybody was thinking but he was their first choice he was barbara broccoli the producer he was her first choice and she saw something that obviously the rest of the world was completely blind to i can kind of see it now prior to doing bond he'd just done munich steven spielberg's film about the israeli army the israeli government's response to the 1972 munich games massacre and then also oh we've done it on the pod what's it called Road to Perdition. Yes, which he's so great in. Yeah, and he plays a vicious bastard in that film. If I had to pick one scene from a film that made me think, oh, they knew what they were doing from the get-go, it's the scene in Road to Perdition when... What's the the bad guy's name? The the old guy, Joshua. What's his name? (laughs) The guy gets shot down in the rain. Oh, um, Paul Newman. Paul Newman. Paul Newman puts his arm around tom hanks and in the background Mm. there's daniel craig looking on in complete jealousy and he doesn't say anything it's just body language Mm. and those those blue eyes so i can kind of see what they were after because as soon as daniel craig became bond suddenly we had this really deep emotional story arcs that we've never seen before everything was so frivolous even when it went to timothy dalton and things got a bit dark again there was still you know license to kill or or maybe it's 
No, it's not. It's yeah. License to Kill ends with a ornamental fish winking at the camera. <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't get that in a Daniel Craig film. No, so I think God, maybe, no. you know, it's a great direction that they finally went in. The last fifteen years, they've been they've been proper dramas as opposed to just adventure mm. James Bond films. I, I should say that he is my favorite. Daniel Craig is definitely my favorite Bond now, hundred percent. I think that Babs Broccoli watched him in Tomb Raider with Angelina Jolie. Yes, the um, <laughs> that's the closest he got. And because he was kind of in this Bond, evil Bond slash Indiana Jones role, and there was yeah. a lot of action in there. I reckon you can forget all your culty stuff. <laughs> I reckon it was that. I've never, I've still never seen Tomb Raider. I used, to, I so. loved it, but it's, it's pretty bad. It's, it's not a good film. It's worth watching for many reasons, but not because. It's <laughs> Also, Chris yeah. Barry is um, Angelina Jolie's butler, which is like... Yes. <laughs> I'm Empire. dealing with it. Mr. Brutus. Yeah. <laughs> Hello, Carol. Welcome to Whitbury Newtown Leisure Centre. Um, okay, round table. Dan, what's your favourite moment from No Time to Die? Wow, on the spot here. But I think it might be the ending have, have we given a spoiler alert yet can i say what happens at the end Does oh yeah yeah yeah. yeah if, if you haven't seen the film yet stop the podcast and go watch it you idiots you fools um at the end where you suddenly realize and obviously we've chatted offline about this but i did not for a split second think they would kill him off so the moment when i realized that that was going to happen it was like i didn't know whether i was going to cry i didn't know if i was going to have a panic attack I, there was goosebumps everywhere I just, it was one of those moments you get in the cinema that it's just, you know, it's, I can't even even talk about that experience because, you know, as a Bond fan of many years, I am, yeah, a Bond fan of many years, he was my favourite. And just the idea that for the first time ever on film, they were about to kill him off. It was, you know, I I, I won't forget seeing that moment in the cinema. Kill him off for real? Because he's died, inverted commas, in two other Bond films. Can you name them, Dan? Can you? Oh, um, no, I can't. Oh, he's died. wait, Cena Royale, when his heart stops? Is no, that on no, Her no, Majesty's like... Secret Service? No, not even that. Oh. Around that era, though, it's two Connery films. He seemingly dies in the cold open to From Russia With Love, but then it's revealed to be a henchman with a Bond mask on. And then he dies, inverted commas again, in You Only Live Twice, because mm. he has to fake his own death. Oh. And he lived twice. Yeah, he did live nice, Mr. Bond. William, your favourite moment from the film? I, oh, it was hard for me to pick because I, I, my view on this this film was like it was a bit of a best of Bond in terms of like <laughs> some of the set pieces and moments, like a real premium Bond experience. And but I <laughs> loved the uh, in Cuba where they have the the kind of climax when you realise the. Ga- the uh, thing is deployed for the first time and then the ensuing fights that happen with Bond, uh, with the the new female agent that's only allegedly had three weeks training who's incredible but not in it for very long and we're seeing Nomi in action for the first time as well. And just I just thought that was just brilliantly done but also it was just the classic kind of party, event, ball casino type thing it all goes to shit everything kicks off um <laughs> and somehow miraculously they all the key players managed to get out in one piece uh and then this brilliant uh, what was the name of the what was the name of the what was her name in the in it 
Oh, Paloma. Um, uh, Paloma. Paloma. She kind of breezes in just for this bit of the film. Mm. And she's definitely one of the standouts for me in terms of like like the, a Bond girl in this film. She kind of breezes in and then she's like, right, I'm off then, see you later. And then you yeah. don't see her again. <laughs> Always leaves them wanting right. more. Yeah. She's done, she's done the right. She could probably thank Ryan Johnson for that, can't she? Yes. Yes, she could. It only clicked on the second view in there. Oh, she's from Knives Out. Yes. Yeah. She's great. I think she's so good. And that's I a saw great her in a film at Sundance. I've forgotten what it was, but what was that film? She was in a horror film. I actually, I met her because I interviewed her at Sundance for something. And um, she was one of the few people that I've been, that I've interviewed where I was just completely like frozen still because she was just so beautiful. I know you're not supposed to say that anymore, but she was just like stunning. (laughs) And I was just in awe of her. I was like, how are you alive? You're just so beautiful. It was a film called Knock Knock. It wasn't very good. Oh, she's beautiful, but the film is shit. Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) Joshua winning. Three stars. Joshua, <laughs> your standout moment from the film? Oh, I'm really torn. I really liked torn the stars. opening. I really loved sort of seeing Baby Maddie. And it was like such a sort of a slasher movie vibe. It was really creepy and mm. really effective and um, not what you were expecting like you at all. Like yeah, it was great. And like, the mask was terrifying. Um Mm. and you know they cast it so perfectly because as soon as you saw her face you knew that was madeline as a kid you just didn't have to even worry about what was going on really so i love that but if i can have one extra scene it has to be when they all go to q's apart his flat oh. and it's just like paddington bear is like worrying about making dinner for his boyfriend just was brilliant also i was wondering were we previously aware that q was gay no it wasn't i don't explicit. think we were no, and that's oh, my so. I was going off. Because I mean, always <laughs> wish or so, you just assume, don't you? Yeah. But I mean, he always he plays to he plays to type. But if I don't know if I'd missed something in the previous films, but if it wasn't mentioned in the previous films, it was just nice how matter of fact that was. Mm. And like, yeah, Bond and Money Penny were just like, we don't care because we yeah. give a shit. Yeah. yeah, we'll open the wine anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that lovely five pound <laughs> bottle of wine. Sorry, how much is he paid? That flat must be. 1.5 million? Yeah. Beautiful, yeah. So what's what are they paying him? Too much. <laughs> it's a dangerous job. Oh, tax money. It's a really dangerous job. So if they're paying him that much, damn right it's not just nine to five. You need to work yeah. all the time. That's <laughs> taxpayers' money. Uh, I found it such a joy seeing the DB5 in action. Pretty much, kind of, for the, we've never seen the DB5 at that level of action. Ever in the car? 59 year history. Yeah, we've never really seen it used that much. We've seen a little bit squirt some water or it sort of ran into a wall in Goldfinger, but we've never seen it like this. And it was brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. I loved, I loved that there's a pause midway through that scene that there's a character beat. It's not mm. just, you know, it's not just aesthetically you know for for action's sake it's 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 brilliant the the moment where he has paused and they're shooting the window and he's almost toying with madeline trying to yeah. decide is she a specter agent is she not mm. what do i do and that's you know you're really seeing the vicious asshole that is <laughs> daniel craig's james bond come out because he starts the film as all like la da da oh i'm off on my jollies gonna make a birthday cake for everyone i'm james bond i love everything and then suddenly he gets blown up and he's like 
Who the fuck did you tell? Who the fuck mm. did you tell? But James, I told no one. I told no one. Who the fuck did you tell? But that's great because that's such an echo of what happened with Vesper and Casino Royale. It, it's obviously like tying all yeah. that stuff together and it does it really effectively. It does it really effectively. You know, that is the, the, the overarching thing of, of especially Daniel Craig's James Bond, that he is a completely damaged individual and he can't help but be paranoid about who everyone is around him and what their motivations are mm. and his only way his only way to sort of um express that is just with brute force and just being a complete arsehole you know he puts her on the even though he loves her puts her on the train doesn't say it has to be this way he just goes you will never see me again yeah and she has no choice in it it's all him no she has no choice what do we think of madeline swan i was gonna say did you question it did you think that she did you know what side she was on? Did you know that she was innocent? I still don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Inspector, it's pretty much underlined that she is not her father. You know, she doesn't want to have anything to do with that world. And I, I wouldn't see... If, if she was a double agent, that would be a bit of a handy retcon. A bit yeah. of a lazy retcon. Mm. So for me, I, I, was never, I was never questioning whether it was her or not and it's too easy right you reveal something in in the start of the film and then you have to introduce a new mystery so that mystery has to be present in order to get us later on in the film um but how do you feel about uh the amazing leah Seydu, who is back on the podcast for the third time joshua could you name the other films we've covered that she's been in oh god um heartbreakers is she in that no you're thinking of Heartbeats. Heartbeats, yeah. Uh, but no, she's not in oh, that Heartbreakers one. is Sigourney Weaver and Jennifer Love Hewitt. <laughs> <laughs> um, she oh she is in Xavier Dolan. Is she in one of the crap ones? Yeah, it's only the end of the world. Oh, yeah. See, I blocked that out. She is good in that, though. No, I couldn't name and the she's second She's also one. in the opening of Inglorious Bastards. Is she young Melanie Laurent? She's one of the sisters of the farmer that gets shot and then what's-her-face escapes. Mm. But she has this really cool coldness to her i never i never fully believed that she was a loving mother oh a bit like your mother dan and <laughs> <laughs> um, whose film is this i think it's i think it's bond's film and i think it's of all the bonds certainly all of the daniel craig films i think it's the most one that is his film Whereas, you know, because it's not really about uh, the bad guy. It's not really about uh, Rami. It's not really about um, Blofeld. I think more than ever, the reason that we don't see uh, Rami Malek, Rami Malek, sorry, so much, uh, or Blofeld uh, is because this is his story. And of course, it's be- that's because it's his final story. That's, that's what I took away from my one, one viewing so far of the film. I'm going to go again. William? It's, it's Daniel Craig's film, isn't it? It's, you know, it. he made comments, and I'm sure I'm not imagining this, but after the last Bond film, I'm sure he made some comments in the press or off off record around, you know, wild horses wouldn't drag me back to do another one. So I think they definitely had to make something very much for him in this last one. And, you know, he runs the full gamut of, like I said, like the best of Bond in terms of like, all of the action sequences but also in terms of the connections to other things from his his time with bond so with specter 
uh, with Christoph Waltz. You know, you've got nods to Judy in there as well. And I think he gets a real, he gets a lot to play with emotionally as well that maybe he hasn't in other films. So I think it was very much probably they wanted him to go out with this on a high for it to be a real swan song, swan song for him as an actor as much as for Bond. Um, but I also like the fact that it does leave you guessing as to well, where are they going to go next? It's not because they did the whole no muse 007 at the start of the film. Are they going to retread that for the next Bond or are they going to go completely fresh again? You just don't know, but you're going to come back, aren't you, after this? Because you just want to know what happens next. It's like, you know, when the Doctor regenerates in Doctor Who, you, you're always going to come back <laughs> at least to see how things kick off again next time. Um, and with this being a death, it's even more certain that you want to come back and see what's going to happen next because you know it is going to come back. Doesn't it say in the uh, at the end of the film, doesn't it say Bond will return at the end of the credits as well? He so. will. Yeah. yeah. It always says that, though. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about you, though. There, there was a little cheer from the audience when it came up. We all uh, waited till the end, and there's a little cheer. Yeah, because people love him. People love Bond. Um, I, what, what's the question? I completely agree. I completely agree <laughs> with what Dan Moore said. Um, I think it is, it is his film. And I think that it's, um, I'm just really pleased that he was able to have this kind of story because I think that they really it's the, the funny thing about like the Daniel Craig era is that Casino Royale starts out where he's kind of a newbie. He's kind of starting out as Bond. And then suddenly in Skyfall, he's old hat and he's sort of being pushed out and they're telling him he's too old. But then they could never really give that its proper resolution. And they, I think that's why, even though I, I do love Skyfall, I think that's why uh, Spectre suffered because it didn't necessarily follow that thread. Um, and then with this one, they're able to, to just do it. They're, you know, he, he's um, accused of being um, ir- irrelevant, which is what you know Rami Malek's character kind of implies, and he kind of almost accepts he is, and you know, in a lot of ways, you know, we, I can't believe this franchise has actually endured for so long with such a stock format, and it's been really interesting to see them try to push against this format. And then this film finally does kind of go, yeah, we're done. And I think that pushing against the format has has kind of defined Daniel Craig's era and, and, and no more so in this film. I don't think it's just Bond's film. I think this is just as much Madeline Swan's film, which is strange because, you know, she's a brand new character. It's only her second film as a character. It opens with her. A flashback of her bond doesn't know that flashback yeah and it ends with her a scene that bond will never see because he's dead and the villain has an emotional connection to madeline swan the villain Mm. doesn't know who bond is Mm. and if bond wasn't with madeline swan he would never have been connected to this thing at all so it's really cool that another character that there's space it's a two-hour 46 minute film but it's a, it, it's cool that emotionally there's space for another character to step in and not just rely on it being once again about bond and it kind mm. of leads me on to my next question how does this film view women and in particular james bond's relationship to women well it's interesting that he never actually gets to or gets to he never actually sleeps with any of the women in the film apart from the one that he's in love with you know there's the whole mm. um nomi sort of suggests in order to lure him in 
um she suggests she might sleep with him but then she kind of says oh all right james you know it's it's just a complete ruse and then um that was a really that was a really good um that was a really good impression <laughs> all right james all right <laughs> it's just a ruse mate <laughs> all right. and then palomi doesn't exist outside of that one bubble where she drips yeah. with allure you know she's wearing that deep cut dress and he kind of thinks that this is what's going to happen and then it never does so i don't I, but there was that he's lovely not... little moment when she's saying goodbye and he and usually that's the point when for whatever reason they'll have a kiss but he just goes yeah. you're a really good agent she goes i know i am thank you <laughs> stay longer next time <laughs> adios i think the film has some really good intentions with the female characters in bringing them to the forefront um with with Nomi, with Madeline, with um with um Paloma, uh, and to an extent with Moneypenny as well. But I think it does then sideline them to bring James back to the front. And to an extent M as well. And I think Moneypenny is criminally underused oh, yeah. in the film. Especially mm, yeah. considering how she was first introduced to us. Yes. Um, but yeah. I also she think... could have played the Nomi role easily. They could have folded yeah, yes, those two together exactly. quite easily. Oh, it, this is, this I did is, love Nomi. Though. This was the problem with Rise of Skywalker. There was a great character that was introduced in The Last Jedi and then completely pushed aside for mm. a new character in Rise of Skywalker. The Nomi character should have been Moneypenny because yeah. there's already that inbuilt tension. So if Moneypenny is suddenly the new 007, then there's the sexual tension and also the jealousy. Yeah, absolutely. that would have been perfect. But also, um, Nomi doesn't really do much in the last hour of the film, and she's introduced, you know, with this huge, you know, energy, the mysteriousness, and like her proficiency in the role is like, everyone is agog with it. But in the last hour of the film, she is kind of relegated back to standard like Bond girl um, mm. status, and and you know she Gets does that. Boat. Yeah, uh, and kind of. I flees. think that's because by that point. By that point, the film needed to revert back to Bond. Yeah. You know, everyone goes, uh, Madeline, the kid, and Nomi go off on that little dinghy, leaving Bond to do the bonding, right? <laughs> so she's definitely underused. I mean, for a large bulk of the film, she's just driving around in an Aston Martin with those funky glasses yeah. on. Because the sunglasses were great, though. They were the star they of the were film. Super really. I, mean, they were, style. I mean, the best part of the film. That, actually, that's my favourite part of the film. <laughs> yeah, that's my, fa- my favourite character. <laughs> my favourite character was the glasses. <laughs> yes, when she turned up too late for the big woods uh, hunting yeah. scene. Conveniently late for that. But she would have kicked ass in that bit. She had to wait for the AA to um, sort out her flat battery. Poor love. I do love, I do love, and I hope um, in a weird kind of way, I hope it really riled some of the kind of Piers Morgans of the world up <laughs> that 007 was a black woman for a moment of a James Bond film. Yeah. Uh, and I think but, that's... But this isn't right. James Bond's a man. <laughs> yeah. Oh. <laughs> and I love the idea of people storming out the pictures. And they probably did. Pictures. Um, because... Yeah, because they're idiots. But I, I love, you know, I'm not sure we all do, uh, quite modern men, love the fact that for a large portion of this film, 007 is a black woman. She was great. incredible character. And it's just interesting, though, that Barbara Broccoli has sort of said, um, we are never going to do a female Bond. And her reasoning is that we don't need a female Bond. We should be able to create strong, interesting, complex female roles that aren't tagged on to a well-known um, 
brand. So it's interesting that that Nomi's mm. philosophy in the end is it's just a number. And, you know, it's almost like she's speaking yeah. through that character. Yes, I agree with that. But also, the character of James Bond is so inherently born out of a misogynistic time that mm. even if they portray him, like in this film, as not even even remotely misogynistic or nowhere near as misogynistic as someone like a Connery or a Moore portrayed him, there's still that interplay between what was and what is now. And if you have a female Bond, then unfortunately that is stripped away and that's a key part of the character that isn't isn't actually allowed to be toyed with. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Is this film racist and ableist? Well, there is the conversation about Rami Malek having sort of a, a scarred um face and what that says and it's such a you can see the franchise really struggling with these issues because you know the the tradition dictates that bond villains always have some kind of physical um trait that isn't necessarily you know able-bodied and so that's kind of a, a, tro- a tradition like a trope that's emerged from the franchise but then they haven't necessarily tackled it properly because they still have a bad guy who has a facial disfigurement of some description two in this film two yeah the, yeah. Yeah, the eye as well yeah and they're both villains well, you know, one there's, and no, half, there's no heroic cage <laughs> yeah. there's no hero with a disfigurement in the film i mean you could argue that bond is emotionally disfigured but he's always mm. suave and as sexy as possible rich. just as like a little just as a little um list i've picked out a few films from the past 59 years where the bad guy the villain is always foreign and deformed you've got dr no who's asian and he's got thin hands blofeld german he's got the facial scar and the dead eye golden eye russian facial scars skyfall raul silva or real name Diego Rodriguez he's Spanish and has a facial deformity and then no time to die you got Lucifer Safin facial scars and some sort of foreign that they never actually confirm where from and also you've got Blofeld and looking over all of them all the 25 films there's only four that I can pick out that doesn't necessarily fit into the formula so in the living daylight and tomorrow never dies the bad guys are neither foreign nor deformed and in goldfinger and the quantum of solace they're foreign and not deformed hmm. so you've got four films out of 25 and i think if bond's gonna come into the 21st century proper i think that has to be redressed a little bit well and also in this film we've got a a corrupt russian scientist as well uh which again is very very ex- it doesn't surprise you to see that in a bond film but at the same time could it not have been hugh dennis uh, or or mm. the other the other person they were working with i like to imagine Shot it was the the, it was the dad from outnumbered had got a new job uh, <laughs> and he's still got a, a crazy home life at home as well as working in a top secret mi6 lab and that's why he had to be corrupt because he's got to fund that family but it does feel <laughs> you picked out a thing there the the corrupt russian scientist i get it that james bond was born out of cold war paranoia mm. but it's been 
It's been 30 years since the fall of the Berlin Wall. Two Bonds, nine films. You think they would have figured something out? Definitely. It's interesting, of course, on this one, um, Phoebe Waller-Bridge um, came in to work on the script. And she does seem like a very modern woman. She, um, I, I imagine her, I just imagine that, you know, she, she shares a lot of our values, very kind of, um, I hate using the word woke, but I'm just going to say like woke values. I wonder how, um, I wonder if she had any conversations about that, about any of these kind of Bond tropes that mm. don't really fit into today's society or today's how we view the world. Well, from what I understand, she was only brought in to add a little bit of levity to it, a bit of comedy. And I can kind of see I can kind of see a bit of flea bag esque muttering to himself or him making a facial expression that only he's really aware of. That kind of almost if they were gonna do it, at that point he would turn to the camera and say, I can't believe I've got a fucking family and then carry on. <laughs> Imagine what people would have how people would react if suddenly Daniel Craig started addressing the camera in the in his final Bond oh, film. Oh God! <laughs> like George Lazenby, or or weirdly, it never happened if, to the other guy. If it never happens to the other guy, or if he started <laughs> fucking Andrew Scott from the last film as the sexy vicar. <laughs> I would like to see that. <laughs> I think we'll draw a veil there. What's next? What's next for the for the franchise? Are they going to just replace the Bond and keep all the same? periphery characters or is it going to be wipe the slate clean like they did with Casino Royale I can see there being some they need to have some some kind of you know I think you know we'd probably be fine with having a fresh slate but I think a lot of viewers need something in it to kind of link it back to the series so I wouldn't be surprised you know feels like M's days might be kind of numbered uh, because they don't address the the international political fallout that what happens in the end of the film does, so I think he might be on dodgy ground. But we might see Money Penny again, um, and you feel like youth is definitely on her side as well. Where if it is four or five plus years before the next film, she would still be probably keen to be involved, and she would be a good link to have. But I don't know if we would necessarily see any of the others, Joshua. I think that this iteration of Bond was so clearly born out of Bourne. You know, it's a Jason Bourne version of Bond. It was gritty, parkour, you know, all that kind of stuff. But also like post 9-11, sort of like super paranoid, you know, that that kind of feeling to it of, you know, there are no heroes kind of thing. Um, so I wonder what's going to happen now. Like what's our, where are we in our world? We live, you know, we're basically mainlining nostalgia are we going to have a bond set in the 80s or the 70s you know is it just going to go back in time in order to just have a romp and be allowed to keep those tropes intact without actually ever having to really fully dismantle them daniel i think they need to wipe the slate clean and start it all from scratch i think again the fact that they've killed off james bond for the first time ever they need to we've seen the reboot with Casino Royale but we still had the same M there um, you know there's still connections to the previous series uh, or the previous films I should say this it, it felt like a very definitive ending to me and I I wonder as well in when series are such a huge thing now 
ca- can they explore this world of Bond? Maybe can they can the films do something different to the characters we saw there? Like I would love to see maybe like a 007 series with Nomi or something like that. But at the same time, I would like the films to continue as their own thing. I've been thinking about the, like you said, Joshua, I've been thinking about the, like, could it go back? Could it be, like, set in the 70s or the 80s? Um, but I, I I, I think that would be even more difficult for them to do, to do it all kind of authentically, but up to date. And I still think, even though they would want to keep in those kind of characteristics of Bond, I still think they would struggle to release a film in this day and age that, you know, if he was shagging around and all that kind of stuff. Shagging so around. <laughs> that's a long way of me saying I've got no fashion idea. But I do think I do think they need to. I, I think it would be weird to reboot and use that same cast, but not Daniel Craig. I think that would mm. work for me. I'm in agreement with you there, Dan. I think if you have any hangers on, it feels almost like Saved by the Bell, the college years, or the yeah. new class, where you go, "Well, hang on, there's Zach, but where's Kelly? Mm. I want a, I want a complete cut." I want a brand new canon. I want a brand new timeline. I don't want any of the same characters, uh, actors rather, to to come over to the new one. And in fact, I mean, there's a lot of talk about it should be a black Bond. I actually really want an Asian Bond and I want it set in the 60s because Hong Kong was part of the Commonwealth still in the 60s. And I think it's not a stretch of the imagination to think there could have been asian secret agents working for the british government who originated from hong kong and it Mm. wouldn't be a stretch of the imagination to think one of them is called james bond i think if it's a really low-key sort of 1960s set espionage thriller that would be such a brilliant direction for them to go in because they've never done a period film they've always been right now they've always been about what's happening right now i'd like to i'd like to see young bond and you could um not not like Tom Holland kind of young Bond, but somebody you've never heard of before just coming in and smashing the role as a kind of younger Bond, how he got mm. his his uh, stripes or, you know, metaphorically anyway. And, you know, but without it being too, like, teeny Smallville. kind of Smallville style thing. Or Alex Ryder. Well, I suppose <laughs> that was a bit... Young Bondy, well, was extremely yeah. young Bondy, but <laughs> just with a bit more grit to it. Do you remember the James Bond Junior cartoon? Ago. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> James Bond. Yeah, James Bond Junior. It was his nephew or something, wasn't it? I never actually saw it. I remember seeing it, but I, but yeah, I think I read about it or saw about it, and I thought no it's interest. fun. It's it's yeah, it's it's aimed at kids. I I wouldn't be interested in an expanded James Bond universe things get a bit too spread thin and it becomes a bit weak. I mean, every every other week I'm hearing about a new Star Wars thing happening, a new Marvel thing. Mm. And it just gets a bit... The focus should always be on James Bond. So I wouldn't want to see a Nomi TV series. I wouldn't want to see Q and his relationships and those fucking awful cats oh that could be a sitcom with like a laughter track that'd be lovely no i thought like work a workplace sitcom mi6 uh with an audience uh but with <laughs> like when the whistle blows but like with we're up with the same cast though so with like ralph fines really hamming it up um with like innuendos and stuff what am i like what am i like <laughs> Thank you.
That was No Time to Die, directed by... Oh, God, here we go. You can do it. (laughs) (laughs) Kerry Yuji Fukunaga. That's easy for you to say. (laughs) (laughs) There is no other episode, although we are still celebrating 21st century horror, so go and check out those episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Acast and everywhere you get your pods from. Joshua? Oh, we're on Twitter as well, at TornStubsPod. Um, come let us know what you thought of the 25th Bond film. And Dan and Will, tell us about your pod. It's track by track, and every every episode we talk about a great pop music album, track by track. Uh, you can join us across all podcasting platforms every other week, and you can join us on Patreon uh, to get episodes on the weeks where we don't release it on the other one as well. <laughs> that's completely clear <laughs> is it <laughs> yeah so on the weeks you're not doing podcasts you can get podcasts and on those other weeks you can also get podcasts but not the other podcasts just podcasts everywhere but some of them you have to subscribe <laughs> to ah some you have to pay you pay for the pods mr bond and how can people contact you if they wanted to uh don't <laughs> <laughs> Quite a lot of you heard it here first. No, at Track by Track uh, UK across social media. You should head over to Track by Track because we're now going to go talk about various James Bond themes. We are off to drive around wearing funky black glasses. Until next time, I remain Robert Gershenson. I'm Josh Winning. I'm Dan Ball. And I'm Will Warren. Cut. (laughs) 